Hey, welcome to Collective Young Adults. It is good to be here tonight with you guys. And, you know, each week we gather together as just a group of young adults. Um, We may not have it all figured out. We may not be perfect, but, uh, hey, we're in this together. And I don't know about you, but life is too difficult to do alone. And that's the whole premise of why we're gathering tonight. We spend time uh, kicking it, drinking some coffee, spend time in worship, then we jump in the word. You'll find out real quick around here we're uh, Jesus people. We believe Jesus is the real thing, that he wasn't just a man, that he showed up on earth and uh, he changes everything. He changes everything. And so tonight we're going to be jumping in to the reading of God's word. If you're not kind of used to that, if you're new to this kind of setting, I just want to say welcome. We're so glad you're here. If this is new for you, you know, you're sitting in a service, there's lights, there's, there's a microphone, there's somebody on stage talking about the Bible. You're like, I don't even know what that is. Um, we're just thankful you're here. We're so grateful for you. But before we jump in tonight, I have a hot take to tell you guys. In, in lieu of this fall weather and it actually being a decent temperature today, I vote this year that uh, I'm just going to cancel winter. I don't want winter to happen as a season. Um, is anyone with me? Anyone hate the cold? Yep, yep, yep. I, I, Elias, he does not vibe with that. It's okay. I'm a summertime person. I do not want to get cold. No, I just don't. Christmas is okay. Okay, here's New Mexico during the winter, okay? Christmas is great, and it's like all wintry. You go to River of Lights. Anyone go to River of Lights this year? Anyone going, planning to? Yeah, River of Lights is where it's at. You got to find a boo for River of Lights. But we're going to be doing, you know, you do the River of Lights thing. You do like the downtown touring of all the lights. You maybe drive around to houses in the North Valley. But then after Christmas, I feel like winter is kind of sad. Like the, it snows, and then it becomes all icy. And then, uh, you know, it's just kind of gross. And then you want it to be warm again. So, you know, I just want to tell you guys that. I just want to let you know. But, um, hey, we each week we kind of go through a sermon. We've been going through that series titled Hunting Giants as a church, as Calvary Church. We just wrapped that up two weeks ago. We had my brother Taylor Bronis speak last week, shared. Anyone, was anyone there for that? Did anyone receive something so special from that sermon? Man, he brought it that week. And so for the next few weeks, we're kind of going topical. We're, we're touching on topics that, you know, as pastors, as me individually, I, I felt that the Lord wants to communicate to us as young adults, as maybe you're 18 to 25, 28, 30, wherever you're at in the season of your life, I find that what I'm going to speak on tonight is something that that is going to speak into your circumstance. It's something we've all faced. It's something, no matter how long you may have followed Jesus, maybe you've never followed Jesus whatsoever, you've experienced it. Tonight, I want to talk to you from the subject of shame, the subject of shame. If you're taking notes, though, I don't want to just leave it there. I want to speak to you about the process of how God overcomes our shame, the process of God overcoming our shame. Because I don't know about you, but a lot of time I, I can feel some heavy shame. I'm not just talking about guilt. I'm not just talking about feeling real bad about something because, believe it or not, guilt is good. If you feel bad about doing something that you did or refused to do when you knew you should have done it or you shouldn't have done that, it's good to feel that. It's good to feel that weight of, of knowing what the right thing is to do. But when I speak of shame, I, I speak of this, this conscious decision we make that, that we tell ourselves this is what's going to define me, this moment in time, doing this action, taking part in this activity, consuming this substance, smoking this, doing that. This is who I am and I messed up and, and that's it. And we almost cast this shame upon ourselves that, that's so heavy to carry. And I want to speak to my friends tonight 
may have come into this setting and you may be used to this sort of setting, you may be new to it, like I said, but I find that more often than not, many of us step into a circumstance like this. We got a dude on stage saying a bunch of stuff from this book called the Bible, communicating and we can feel the weight of our shame. We can feel the weight of our mistakes. And I find that no matter where you are in your season of life, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, you've experienced shame. And tonight I want to speak to you from the perspective of, an, of a story of the book of Genesis. So if you've got a Bible or a copy of the scriptures, feel free to turn to Genesis 3. Genesis 3. We're going to start in verse 1. But I want to preface all of what we're going to talk through tonight with this. I'm not, not going to talk for too long, but, and I'll try to be somewhat interesting. But I want, I want to speak from this narrative of Genesis and you may hear this word Genesis, you may hear words like Adam and Eve, garden, serpent, and you may immediately like press the brakes, you may be screeching to a halt in your mind, you may have just cast me out entirely from listening. You said, Genesis, what is this? Come on, like we've disproved all this, we know this isn't what it means, this isn't what it says. And no matter what disposition you come to tonight, no matter what background you have, I want to invite you tonight. I want to invite you into this story. And no matter what prejudice you may carry, whether you believe seven days, 7,000 years, whatever it may be, I want to invite you into the story tonight. Because the story isn't meant to be a science textbook. is isn't meant to explain everything and answer all our questions. And there's a couple crazy things that we're going to read about. And the book of Genesis is everything, <laughs> including crazy but I want to invite you tonight to, to be invited into learning about God's character. Learning about God's character because all throughout this book, and y'all check out the Bible I got tonight. This thing is thick. But in this book, the whole premise is God's character. A lot of people think this book is about a lot of good people doing really good things and being perfect. It's about a good God and his character and his love for humanity. And that's what we read all throughout. And so. When we jump in tonight, I want to invite you into this conversation of learning of God's character and learning of what he had to communicate to these two individuals, whatever you believe about them, right? We can come to those questions later. We can have that conversation if you want to. But learning from these two characters that he communicates with, how it speaks to his own true character. Sound good? Are we in for that? Is that, yeah? Okay, okay. Sweet. So we're in Genesis chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 1, and if you don't got a Bible, I have a giant Bible behind me that'll pop up. It says this, verse 1. Now the serpent, Satan, was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. 
And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And Lord God said to the woman, this isn't shameful, it's just inquisitive, caring. What is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Lord, you're, you're so good. God, I, I just thank you for this opportunity to share from, from your story and, and share a, a piece of perspective of, of what you view humanity and how you view humanity. That, Lord, I pray for my friends in this room, no matter their background, no matter the circumstance, that, Lord, you may just step into what they're experiencing right now, whether it's been a really great week or a really, really, really hard week, God. Lord, uh, allow us to just be a part of what you're doing. Tonight can't happen without you. Lives can't change. We can't change without you, Jesus. So, Lord, without you, this is just talk. This is all just nice things. Lord, we, we pray that you show up and you just make yourself known in this place. God, I, I pray for any of those experiencing the weight of their mistakes this week that you may just cover them tonight. Lord, let, let anything be said from this pulpit, from this stage, just be entirely of you. Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give it up for Cassie, killing it on the keys, leading worship. We are investing in a keytar so she can just play the keys like a guitar. Just kidding, we're not doing that. But hey, I, I want, like I said, to speak to you from the topic of shame tonight. Like I said, the, the title of the sermon, if you're taking notes, is The Process of God Overcoming Our Shame. And I believe during the process of us encountering shame in our lives, that it takes time to have that shame be triumphed over. That overnight, it's hard to wake up the next morning after doing something you know you shouldn't have done, from coming back from a week full of mistakes, doing things that you regret, and instantaneously being rid of so much shame and so much guilt. But I find that more often than not, it's a process that we encounter by God's grace of him overcoming our shame. And I believe it happens in three ways. I believe the first way that God overcomes our shame is that he first, he confronts us. He first confronts us. And as we read in our narrative, the best way I could sum up this story, this part of scripture, is I think of that survival TV show. And some of you may know what I'm talking about. It was titled, came out a few years ago. It was really weird. I never watched it because it just seemed so whack. Um, it was titled Naked and Afraid. Did anyone remember this? Yeah? I was just like, we have just reached it. We've reached the pinnacle of just entertainment in the survival industry. It wasn't enough for Bear Grylls to drink his own pee. It wasn't enough for people to eat their own toes. Now we're making people become naked, putting them on an island, and then saying, good luck. Tom Hanks, man, he'd be so ashamed. But I think of this, this phrase, naked and afraid, and then I also think of, of moments in my life where I've been naked and afraid. And what I'm talking about is when you go to someone's house and you go to use their shower, okay? I'm going to explain. It sounds really weird. I'm setting this up, okay? Have you ever been in a place that you've never been before? Maybe it's a hotel. Maybe it's an Airbnb. Maybe it's your friend's house. You're staying the night. And you want to take a shower because you're a human and humans get dirty. So you say, hey, is it cool if you use your shower? Like, yeah, go ahead. Here's a towel. Do your thing. Whatever. So you hit up the shower, okay? And, and unless you're like a veteran shower taker, like you've taken enough showers, you know what you're doing, what you're going to do is this. You're going to keep your clothes on, and you're going to walk over to the shower, and you're going to figure out how the shower works, right? You would think that's what you would do. 
But no, that's not the case, especially if your name is Nick Macedo, a.k.a. me. Every single time I take all my clothes off, I'm like, I'm ready to shower. I'm hyped on this. I hop in the shower, and I'm just like, I don't even know what I'm looking at. It looks like the inside of Jeff Bezos's like spaceship that he went over the earth in. Like, I'm like, I don't even understand where these nozzles and these faucets are coming from. So what I just start doing, I'm not going to like call my, what are you going to do? Like call your friend and be like, hey, like, could you like explain this to you? Like you're like naked on the phone. That's weird. Don't FaceTime them. So what I do is I just start hitting nozzles. I just start turning everything on. And then there's two options when you don't know how to operate a shower. I don't know why people design it this way. There's two options, okay? It's scalding hot, like you're burning the first layer of your skin off, or it's freezing cold and you feel like you're taking an ice bath. But you're already this far, right? You, you've, got, you've invested so much into this activity. You said, well, I guess I just got to burn my skin off or freeze to death. And so you do one or the other. And that's when I feel naked and afraid, personally. Personally. And so when we read our narrative tonight, all jokes aside, the best way I could summarize these two characters, Adam and Eve, is that they're naked and that they're afraid. Long story short, they've eaten of a tree that God instructed them not to do, to not eat of. They went against God's word. Who knows why? What's the meaning behind it? What's the depth of that? Was it mythical? Was it true? Is it allegorical? All we need to know for tonight is this. That when they are instructed by God, this is the way I've instructed you to live your life. The way I've instructed you to go about following me. They went the opposite of that. And this is the origin of man's sin. Of, of choosing my own ability, my own will above God's. And these two characters, Adam and Eve, their husband and wife. They're in perfection. They're in the Garden of Eden, this, this narrative we've heard about. They're, they're naked because life's perfect. There's no sin entering the world. There's no death. There's no perversion. Life is perfect as it should have been. But as they've made a decision, choosing free will, they've chosen their will above God's. And we end up in this situation where they're naked and afraid because what has happened is that they know they're in the wrong. God has instructed them as he tells them in the verse we just read, you were not supposed to eat that tree, but you did. And then the immediate reaction is the same reaction I find so many of us have when we're ashamed, when we've done the wrong thing, when we've done something we shouldn't have, when we know better. Our intention and our most common ability as humans when we do the wrong thing is to hide. I find this that even as somebody as young as a child, five years old, three years old, when they know they don't do the correct thing, what's the response? They hide it. They hide what they have done. And we're trained as humans just by our condition to lie, to cheat, to steal, to cover up the things we've done and how we've done them. And we find this same narrative thousands of years ago being repeated in this story. And so we find that God comes to them and he tells them, why are you hiding? He asks Adam. And in this narrative, we read that God would walk with Adam physically. I listened to a sermon today, and the pastor mentioned it's, it'd be like God being in Walmart, and you walk down the aisle, and God's just there in the frozen food section. It'd be like God physically being here as a presence. It was something that was so captivating. It was something that was so unique for Adam. And so God's walking physically with Adam, but Adam decides to hide from God. And then God asks him questions. It's not because God doesn't know any better. Like, God's like, oh, my gosh, I just woke up. I'm like an AI, and I'm figuring out how the world works. No, God knows everything. He's all-knowing. But he asks Adam, why are you hiding? And I don't think he asks Adam this question to, like, be smart about it. Like, oh, where are you hiding, Adam? Like, why are you hiding? I think he genuinely is asking it 
to, to let Adam search his heart. To let Adam search his heart. And this is what I mean when, when God works through the process of allowing us to overcome our shame. When he overcomes our shame, he starts by confronting us. Now, confrontation is good, okay? I, it, it pains me as a people pleaser, okay? I'm like a people pleaser to the max, okay? It pains me to say confrontation is good. Because confrontation isn't the same as accusation. Accusation is not knowing something and assuming the worst. Accusation is like you got takeout and you have leftovers and then you bring it home and then you're really excited to come back home to it the next day, but then you find the empty box of takeout in like your roommate's garbage can and you're like, oh, I wonder who ate my last call or my Wex. Anyone a fan of Papa's in here? Papa's is the place. Oh my gosh, I love Wex. But accusation and confrontation are two different entire concepts. See, confrontation is good because confrontation opens up a conversation for honesty. And see, when we're in the midst of our shame, we're in the midst of doing something that we know we shouldn't have done, when we're feeling the weight of that guilt, when we're feeling the weight of our consciousness, our immediate response is to hide. Our immediate response is to cower. Whether we like to admit it or not, it's very easy, even though God knows everything, even though God's all-knowing, even though he knows the depths of our soul that he knew us, even before we were an idea in anybody's head, it's important for us to be honest with God regardless. Because honesty with God is God inviting us into a conversation about our shame. When we're honest with God, we can begin the conversation with him of overcoming our shame. I find so often that we like to keep things, not only from people around us, maybe we think, oh, if, I, if I told my friends, you know, what I did last night, even though they've been telling me to not go to that place and not to be with friends with those people, they would be so ashamed of me. Oh, if, if my parents knew, like, the decisions I've made and the things I've done behind their back, they would be so ashamed of me. And I find that we carry that same heart posture of human's perspective, humanity's perspective, accusation, disappointment, over to God. It's this weird subconscious thing we do that we think God doesn't want to be bothered by like these little sins I'm committing. God doesn't want to be bothered by these little things I'm doing. Like God doesn't care about those things. My friend, I want to tell you tonight, God cares about all of it. God cares about the very interpersonal details of your life. God cares about the shame you carry. God cares about that thing in the back of your head all day long you've been thinking about. He wants you to bring it to him because in bringing it to him, you can begin the conversation with him. Because I find so often we treat our relationship to God like he's the bottom of our tier list in terms of friendship. Like having conversation with him, spending time with him. We don't relate that to a normal relationship. What do you do in a relationship when you want to make the bond stronger? What do you do when you want to be better friends with somebody? You spend time with them, right? For some reason, we think that relational aspect doesn't carry over to how we communicate with God and our relationship to him. I want to tell you tonight, friend, if, if you don't begin to be honest with God about your shame, if you don't begin to allow God to confront you in your shame, you're never going to overcome it. I believe that without a matter of a doubt because that is the process he goes by, even in this narrative. And here's what's funny. God speaks in the language of confrontation, but when, when we're in sin and, and the enemy, he speaks in the language of accusation. I believe this. Satan speaks in two primary languages. It's accusation and guilt and shame. I believe those two things. The last would be assumption. I would, I would go to that point. But I believe Satan, it's so funny because Satan is accusing them. He's tempting them into this scenario. They're falling into sin, into temptation. And then what do they do as a result of their sin? They're accusing one another. 
she, he says, it's, it's the girl you left me with. He, like, slept outside the hut that night because he was accusing his wife of something. He said, oh, it's her fault, right? As immediately as sin takes place in the world, accusation is starting. Pride is starting. It's not my fault. This is, this is just how I am. This, I was born this way. This is, this is the byproduct of my household. I, it's, in my, it's in my family bloodline. The same assumptions we make, the same accusations we make, this is the language but God speaks in confrontation because in confrontation, there's truth and honesty. And no shame can thrive in honesty. So God starts by confronting us. The second thing he does is he covers us. Jump with me. He covers us. Jump with me to verse 21. So they, they have this dialogue. They, they speak. And then, and then if you read, if you caught on what we were reading, it says that they covered themselves because they were naked before, life is perfect. Sin enters the world, life is no longer perfect, so there's perversion. Things, things are being ruined. Through sin entering the world, now cancer can take place. Now pestilence can take place. COVID-19, it wasn't existing, that was like COVID-1 at that point, can take place. Sin and death has entered the world. And so and that, as that byproduct, now they have to feel, they feel ashamed for their nakedness. They feel like they have to cover themselves. What do they cover themselves with? Fig leaves, right? They cover themselves with leaves, Read here in verse 21. This is a really interesting part of the, this chapter. It says this. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. I'm reading the New King James Version, so it's vintage. Uh, tunics just means clothes. He just, he just made clothes for them. Here's what I think is interesting. When, when we're facing shame, when God is working through our shame with us, he starts by confronting us, but then he desires to cover us. He desires to cover us. Let me explain. So I am a homeowner by God's grace. I don't know how. My wife, my wife just saved a lot of money, and we're good. But I'm a homeowner. And so I didn't realize, though, when you buy a home, you kind, it's kind of up to you to fix everything, okay? I first came from an apartment. At an apartment, it's so great. You can, like, break your dishwasher on purpose and, like, call maintenance, and they'll come fix it and replace it for free. You could like, bust a hole in the wall and just, like, throw your head into the wall, and they'll come fix it. Not that I did that. But you can literally have maintenance fi fix anything at an apartment. And I remember uh, when we were living in our apartment, I was gifted a really nice, huge TV by a friend. Like, I was like, oh, my gosh, thank you so much. So he gave me this TV, and I've never had a TV this big in my life. So it was really heavy. And I was like, man, I, we need to, like, hoist it up on the wall. I've always wanted, like, a TV on the wall. Like, that, I've seen that at people's houses. That's so cool. So I go out to Target, and I buy, like, a mount for this TV. I'm like, dude, this is so simple. You just drill some holes in the wall. You put those screws in there, and then you hang your mount, and then you hang your TV, okay? So that's exactly what I did. I went right into the drywall, no studs needed in my situation, I guess, and I tried to hang the TV, and it immediately almost collapsed on top of me. And so I realized there's these things called studs, okay? And they're not just Eric, okay? There's studs in the wall that are wood, and you drill into the stud, and that's how you can hoist things up beyond like two pounds. I've never hung up anything in my life besides a picture frame. I kid you not, you guys. I'm being so vulnerable with you tonight. So I drill, so I'm like, okay. I watched like one YouTube video for five seconds. I'm like, this is like my man brain. I'm like, I got this. I figured this out. This is easy. Everyone's making this so complicated. All these Google articles, whatever. Like, I am Tim Allen in the flesh. Anyone home improvement fans? Yeah, yeah, Nick at night. Come on. So. I, uh, I like look at a YouTube video, it says you can knock and hear the stud. So I'm like, oh my gosh, this is perfect. So I knock and I'm like, that sounds like a stud. You know, it's like a few inches apart from where I just drilled. So, okay, just so you can get the picture in your mind. Okay, there's four holes 
in my apartment wall right now, okay? And I went on to make 20 holes in my apartment wall. I kid you not, collective young adults. I literally, I tried knocking and I drilled and I could never find a stud. And then I kept drilling and I kept drilling. And then I went to go get a stud finder for my dad and I came back, I didn't even know how to use it. I eventually figured it out 20 holes later, okay? And I'm drilling in the wall and then I'm drilling and I'm using the reverse of the drill. It was such a mess, it was awful. So my deductible got taken out of my apartment because of that. But Here's what's funny about that story, and I'm, getting, I'm going somewhere with this. I'm not just going to say that, just to say it. What's so funny is I had these holes all over my wall, and it looks awful. It doesn't look like, I know Chipotle does that, like, bare ceiling thing, and that's cool when they do it, but when you have holes in your wall, it's, like, not cute, okay? Don't punch holes in your wall. So I go to hang up my TV, and I find that it covers all the holes. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm an interior designer genius. I just use the TV to cover it up, Right? And then what's so funny is I lived in my apartment. We lived there for like two years. And then I went to go move and I took it down and I totally forgot about all the holes I drilled in the wall. I just covered it up with something that literally did nothing for it. That didn't fix the situation. It just was a temporary fix. And I find so often the methods by which we try to cover up our shame, the methods by which we try to cover up our sin, the methods by which we try to cover ourselves after doing wrong, after committing sin, is the same way in which I'm trying to hang up a TV and fix the solution of holes on my wall. No matter what you do, no matter who you sleep with, no matter what you take, no matter what you watch, no matter how successful you are, no matter how much money you make, it's never going to cover up fully the shame you carry. See, that's what happens, though, when we cover up our shame by our own means. See, that's, that's the human way of covering shame. And this is the way of culture in the world, especially, especially as young adults, and being somebody who just left university, just graduated, I just remember being on campus, and it's like everyone's answer to the weight and guilt of life, to the, to the issues we face from the shame that we may have shame from things that may have even happened to us. It may have not, not even been our fault, but we carry that shame anyway. We may have been hurt, may have been abused, doesn't matter, we have that shame. And the world's answer to it, no matter where we go, is to cover it up. Cover it up with temporary things. Sleep with this person, make this money, get this career, you're good, you got it covered. But you're gonna remove the TV, metaphorically, like I did, and you're going to find that no matter what you try to cover it up with, it doesn't work. Your shame's never covered. You still feel that weight. See, this is what I think the beauty is in verse 21, that, that God covers them, but he covers them with something that's longer lasting than just some fig leaves. I don't know if you've ever seen a fig tree, Fig Newton fans in the house. If you've seen a fig tree, it, the leaves aren't very sustainable. The leaves break apart over time. But God covers these individuals, these, his two children, and something that's long-lasting. See, I find that God, when I'm in the midst of my shame, he covers me in what I need first before he covers me in what I want. See, he wants to cover me in what I need because sometimes what I need is life's hard. I'm feeling the weight of shame. I'm feeling, feeling the weight of guilt of my decisions. And I want to be happy. I want to have these things. But that's what I want. See, what I may need in that moment is conviction. I, mean, I may need a friend to get in my face and be like, dude, what have you been up to? Hey, hey, we need to talk about this stuff you've been looking at. Hey, we need to talk about who you've been hanging out with. I think of David and, and Nathan in the Old Testament after David sleeps with Bathsheba and how he gets in his face and he says, here's the deal, man. We need to be honest. Sometimes we need some conviction. We need some conviction to turn from what we've been doing because it's killing us. I find that sometimes what I need from God is peace. I need the peace of God to know that this shame doesn't define me. This shame isn't the ultimate definition of who I am. 
that that's what he wants to cover me in his peace. Sometimes I need rest. Sometimes what I need is to get off my phone, to unplug, to take a break from life, and to rest in God's presence to take time with him. See, I think back to that moment of, of the woman caught in adultery. It's in John 8, and it's with Jesus. And this woman's thrown before Jesus, and this goes back to how Jesus confronts. See, she's being accused by all these men, by these religious leaders for what she's done, and there's being shame cast upon her. See, and then Jesus casts the men aside and says, woman, where are your accusers? But he doesn't leave her there. He says, but go and sin no more. And see, God is always willing to cover us in what we need. And what we need may hurt sometimes, like salt in a wound, but he'll clean it. But what we need is long-lasting. What we need from God when he covers us goes beyond just simply my quick fixes, my quick cover-ups. So he confronts us, he covers us, and, and finally, he comforts us. He comforts us. See, what happens in this moment is this is really symbolical. This is this really symbolic of Jesus, truly. Because what happens when these two individuals sin? How are they covered? They're covered by a sacrifice. Because that animal had to die. They were covered by an animal's skin to wear his clothes. And that animal's skin was then used to cover them. But an animal had to die for that to take place. And this is the first sign in the Bible where the result of sin is a blood sacrifice. See, sin costs something. Sin isn't something that is just a made-up concept. Sin isn't just this convoluted cultural Christian thing. Sin is real, y'all. If you don't believe me, let me go slap your grandma and you tell me if sin is real. Sin is legitimate, and sin does something. And sin will always affect more than just you. Sin in your life, hidden sin, will always come out. It will always impact those around you. It will feed into different areas. And this is God showing in the first instance how sin will always cost something, and it costed a blood sacrifice. And the only way to cover sin is by a blood sacrifice. And so I want to read to you how this is actually quite comforting. Because because of Jesus' sacrifice, we no longer need to be simply just covered. See, in the Old Testament, they would do good to get good. They'd go to temple, they'd sacrifice an animal when they sin, and then that would cover them for the day. The clock would turn, it'd be 24 hours, then again they sin again. They got to do it all over again. There's something else that takes place, though. In, in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, thousands of years later from this moment. But I wanted to read to you out of Psalm 22. It's a psalm that just came to heart um, in preparation for communicating this point tonight. It's, it's a prophetic psalm from David. It was wrote, written a millennia before Jesus would even step foot on the earth and, and this is crazy to read because it literally describes the crucifixion process before the Assyrians invented it and then after the Romans adopted it. People didn't even know what crucifixion was at this point in time. But here David's describing it. Verse 14, if you want to read with me, you can, and I'm going to have the band come back out. It says this, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It was melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots or throw dice. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. Oh, my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. 
I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him, all of you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. I'm going to say that one more time. For he has not despised nor abhorred, no, the affliction of the afflicted. This is so good. Nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard. My friend, this is, this is the bad news. Sin costs something. Sin requires a blood sacrifice to cover it. But here's the good news. Jesus was willing to be that blood sacrifice. Here's the good news. That the shame you feel, that once you confront it, that once you're honest about it, once you bring it out to the open and present it before God, that, God, this is what I'm dealing with. This is the reality. Let's have a conversation about it. Then once you have that confrontation, he wants to cover you. He wants to cover you in his peace. He wants to cover you in his joy. He wants to provide you for what you need. And then this is the last thing, that, that this is his comfort, that we can find comfort in the cross. What's, what's the beauty of the cross? The beauty of the cross is that grace, that despite all, Despite God knowing every single detail about you and I, every single thing we've never shared with anybody, and every single aspect of our lives we may have hidden in our iPhone notes, we may have it in a journal underneath our bed, God knows about it. But he decides to love us regardless. And before God sees you for your sin, he sees you for your soul. You see, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. It's not for God so hated the world. For God so abhorred everyone. For God so was so sick of every single individual in their sin. He says, for God so loved the world. That before he sees you, for the nasty things we do as people, myself included, he sees you for your soul. He sees you for your potential. And when we come to the cross, when we find comfort in the cross, we can find comfort in this, that no longer do I have to identify as what I've done. I don't have to be the sum of what I do. This is the hope of the world, my friends. You are the sum of what you do. You are the sum of who you vote for. You are the sum of who you sleep with. You are the sum of your culture. That is what the world communicates, especially young people like us. But this is the beauty of the cross, my friends, that you don't have to be your mistakes. You don't have to be the sum of your identity and what you've done and the things you're ashamed of. That this is the beauty of the cross is that there is comfort And I find so many of us are living under shame and guilt and we're living under this weight. And we've come to Jesus. We've gone up to 20 altar calls. We've given our life back to Jesus at 12 summer camps. We've done it all over again. We read our Bible every morning. But the things we do are killing us. They're crushing us. And it can't sustain our faith. But I want to tell you tonight, you can find comfort in the cross. You can find comfort in Jesus' death for you that this isn't it. This doesn't have to be it for you. That the mistakes you've done last night, it doesn't have to be all that your story communicates about you. And that's the beauty. In this last verse, he says it. Nor has he hidden his face from him, but when he cried to him, he heard. He has not despised our affliction. He has not despised our affliction. My friend, our God is not surprised when you sin. Our God isn't surprised in the creative methods we make up to hurt others and hurt ourselves. He's not disappointed in you. I heard, I heard somebody tell this to me. They said, I just want God to not be disappointed in me. That's my only goal in life. And I said, I, I love your heart posture, but that's so biblically unsound. To be disappointed is to be surprised. To be disappointed is to come into a situation and realize it wasn't what you thought it was. God's not surprised. God's not surprised by your sin. And so I want to invite you tonight. Where does your comfort lie? Does it lie in the things of this world, like how I so terribly tried hanging up and covering up walls on my apartment wall, that the comfort, it's going to go one day. 
It's going to go when the friends leave. It's when it, it's going to go when the alcohol stops flowing. It's going to go when the girls leave. It's going to go when the boyfriend leaves. It's going to go when the party's over. And you're right back to that shame and guilt the next morning. Where does your comfort lie? Does it lie in things of this world? Because let's be honest. If it was going to work, it would have worked by now. It would have worked by now. It's not working. So tonight, I want to invite you, where is your comfort lying? Where is your comfort lying? Is it lying in the cross? And that doesn't mean you wake up and do 12 Hail Marys every morning and you make sure you do communion and you make sure you're a really nice person so that your salvation gas tank is full like Catholicism would communicate. All it is is your comfort is the cross is saying, I'm not good enough to save myself. I need some help. I need some help. I need somebody to step into my circumstances who is perfect, who understands every single aspect of what it means to be human, being fully human, fully God. And I need him to step in. I need him to forgive me. I need to be forgiven of this. So um, we're going to jump into worship. But I just want to have a stand real quick. And uh, it's going to be a sweet time. But what I want to do is I want to invite you tonight. And it may be scary. It may be weird. The lights are up. And you're like, oh, my gosh, everybody can see me. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What this is about tonight is between a conversation between you and your creator, okay? It's not because I'm up here saying nice things or communicating, whatever. It's truly, I believe, God is trying to tap into something within our hearts right now. So standing right now, I want us to be honest, and I I want us, if this is you tonight, if you sense that you have not placed your trust in Christ, or maybe you've turned away, maybe you've gone your own thing, maybe you've tried pursuing your own comfort, and like I just said, it's not working, I just want to invite you tonight, if you want to put your trust for the first time, or if you want to, again, return to the trust of Jesus, can we just raise, can you just raise your hand, can we just do that, I see you, amen, I see you, amen, that's awesome, see you, amen, this isn't weird, y'all, You may feel tension. You may feel like, oh, people are looking at me. It's not about that. It's not about that. It's about a conversation between you and your creator. So what we're going to do now is I just want to pray for us. And uh, if you raise your hand, that's awesome. Let's, Let's chat after service. And maybe you didn't raise your hand, okay? There's this kind of myth that if you don't raise your hand, you're not saved. Dude, I've I've met people who got saved over a podcast, okay? I've met people who have met Jesus over the phone, okay? That counts. Maybe you didn't raise your hand right now. That's all good. Maybe you need to take some time and have a conversation with God in worship. That's cool too. But I want to pray for us and I want to lift up those of us in this room tonight who are weighed down by shame, who are weighed down by shame. Let's pray, y'all. Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your character. Thank you for what you're doing in this space. Thank you for my friends. These people truly feel like family, God, and I thank you for that. God, I lift up those in this place who are encountering shame, who are feeling guilt, who who are just crushed right now, God. That they feel like it won't take much more before their faith is dead, before they themselves might be dead. So, Lord, I I just lift up those in this space that are facing this right now, that that are facing this guilt, God. Lord, I pray for those in this place that have raised their hand, God. Give them the boldness to continue the conversation, to talk with you tonight, to be honest, to be, allow themselves to be confronted so that in turn you can cover and comfort us, God. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Pray for my friends in this space. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all, we're going to spend some time in worship. Yeah, right on.
We're going to spend some time in worship by our beautiful team here. And uh, yeah, we just, we just want to be here for you guys, man. We just, we just want to lift you up in prayer. If you're, if you're feeling like, man, I, there's a lot said tonight. There's a lot of conversation to be had. I don't even know where to begin. We're going to have our leadership team around the room, and they're going to be available for prayer. Um, me and Scott will be around the room. If you want to pray, if you want to chat, uh, we're here for that. So often in this kind of setting, you could raise your hand. You can have an emotional, provoked moment. We don't want to leave it there. Not saying that was emotionally provoked, but for some of us, we may be still stirring. So I just want to invite you into that. I just want to invite you into that conversation. Sounds good? Yeah? All right, let's worship. <laughs> 